You are now tuned into the Anxious Ambition Podcast, where you will be hearing raw and unfiltered conversations with those who struggle with mental illness, but refuse to let that get in the way of them achieving their dreams. Our hope is that by hearing their stories, you are inspired to do more. Here are their stories. Anxious. Ambition. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Anxious Ambition Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Allen, and today we have uh, another special guest. Our next guest, honestly, was one of the best volleyball players I ever played against. Strongest competitors. Uh, I can still remember, you know, just how intense you were on the court. Um, he's also, you know, he's had his own struggles himself, though. He's had some struggles finding his identity. Um, if you're not watching, you know, my next guest, Larry, he's, he's mixed, black and white. Um, he went from having this volleyball career to finding himself depressed because, you know, again, finding his identity after college. But now, you know, he started uh, Motivate Volleyball, which is basically it's a podcast centered around the black experience in men's volleyball, which is another thing. Not a lot of black athletes in volleyball, especially when we were, you know, we were playing. Um, and then more importantly, too, he's a head coach of not only the women's, but the men's volleyball team at an HBCU, which is completely new, you know, in the last like, two years or so at Ford Valley State University. So I want to welcome Larry Rather. Hey, Justin, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to hit me up and ask me to be a part of this. I think it's awesome. Of course, man. Appreciate it. It's been a long time coming. Um, you know, one of the main things, the topics I want to kind of talk to you about is, you know, we talked about identity a lot, how you struggle with your identity. Like we, like we said, you know, you are mixed, you know, uh, black father, white mom, right? Um, yep. you know, can you tell me about that identity struggle probably, you know, from, I guess, when did it start? I mean, I'm sure you weren't like a baby and you started thinking about that shit. It's like when you got a little bit older, you know, how did that kind of come about? Uh, it kind of really started when probably around fourth grade. Um, so from be before that we were in an area that was, we grew up in an area that was predominantly mixed culture, right? It had your black, your white, um, Zion, Illinois if you're familiar of it, um, where it's a, a melting pot in a way. So you're not really fighting with an identity of who you are and what you like, and you're just a kid still, right? Um, and then came my fourth year, my uh, fourth grade year, we moved to North Chicago, Illinois, which is predominantly black, um, a little more of the lower end, I guess you would say ghetto. Um, and so there I'm coming from an area where I can just be a kid and you don't have to worry about this uh, face you have to put on or this persona or this certain way of living or being or acting to now kind of having to worry about that and being a kid who's picked on because you're slightly different right and I remember my being in fourth grade and being a kid who was picked on a good amount because I was just different and I was new right you're the new kid and you're going to get picked on a lot and it's a lot came from that um, but then kind of how you mentioned a little it, it started even more so again, getting into the volleyball world, right? You get into a volleyball community and it's predominantly white and you're the one black kid. And they're like, oh, you're our black kid on the team. You're, you're our image of what it is to be a black person. Mm -hmm. um, and so I fell in the role of being the black kid for them. But then I transferred high schools after my freshman year to Lake Forest, where now I go from a predominantly black school to now a predominantly white school where am I graduating class of about 420, 430, only five of us were black in that graduation class. Wow. So wow. 
that that shows you like the polar opposites kind of how i was telling you before like mm-hmm. the opposites of things so now when you're with your black friends well you're not black because you're kind of, you're half white too and you act and you talk white and then you get with the white kids and you're not white because you look black right mm-hmm. and you're our ideal of being a black kid you come from a predominantly black school and you're our quintessential i guess identity of what a black person is and now you have to carry this role in this image of two different races for two different people and you're their example of what that is so that kind of is when it all really started it was probably around fourth grade when i went into a predominantly black mm-hmm. area um, and then it started with the other side once i got into volleyball and transferred high schools so was there did you feel like a sense of like pressure like being like you said like the black kid, you know, like, was there pressure to be more black or more white? Like, I know, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I think it was um, subconsciously for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you're this kid coming from the hood and you're playing a, let's be honest, a, a wealthy sport. Sure. Right. Like, no, fair. You got to have some money to play club volleyball mm-hmm. and not necessarily my parents did. They, made means work so we could have that opportunity, but right. you're still playing the role of the black kid. So you're expected to jump high. You're expected to be this freak athlete on the court, no matter what. Um, so yeah, I think subconsciously for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And I kind of still played into that role of being the black kid. So I was more aggressive than anyone else. I was more vocal, you know, like those quintessential things that you would think of, of a black athlete. Mm-hmm. No, it's fair to say. Cause I mean, and I, I was, I was listening to one of your podcasts and you kind of talked about how like you were almost identified as like the black, the black volleyball player. And yep. I, I have to admit, I mean, eighth grade is kind of like when I started playing like seventh, but eighth grade is kind of when I saw you in the circuit and quite frankly, that's how you were described. It was mm-hmm. like, Hey, it's like, Oh, you know, Larry, it's like, Oh no, uh, black kid, shorter jump, super high. And I mean, at the time too, it's not like we knew, oh, he's, he's mixed. He's actually white too. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, it's just, you're identified as the black kid playing. Cause like you said in putting like, you know, the money aside, like it's a, it's a predominantly white sport. I think it, it's definitely getting, I think there's more and more black people playing and they should, mm-hmm. but it was like, okay, one, it's either a gay sport, a white sport it's feminine you know honestly i'm sure a lot of people even listening don't even understand that men play volleyball boys play volleyball <laughs> it's yeah. like yeah you know 100 it's like oh you didn't play basketball it's like well i did but i could actually go get a scholarship playing volleyball you know what i mean or whatever whatever yeah. it was like yeah so i think that's already like kind of a taboo thing so i'm sure like how was it being like playing volleyball and you know explain that to like you know the black um, community yeah, I mean, so for me, like, like I said, growing up in the in that black community at first, my dad was the high school coach there, and he's mm-hmm. been there since great dude. Uh, 93, I want to say, um, 93, 94 is when he started coaching there. And he started the volleyball program, and they started to get a little bit better. They weren't always that great. Uh, but then my brother came in, he was three years older than me. Um, and then I came along and what we would just do is like, oh, it's a girl sport. Okay, cool. Come into the gym real quick. Get on the court. Let me hit this ball. Let's see what you do. Yep, right. And then you get blasted in the face once or twice. You're like, oh, okay. This, this isn't what I thought it was. 
exactly. um, which is kind of how I coach the game to my kids is making this game be way more physical. Mm-hmm. This game is more physical than people think, right? Like I've broken four or five kids pinkies to where they had to go get pins put in. I've hit a kid in the throat to where his throat closed and he stopped breathing for a while. Fuck. I've made kids get concussions from hitting them in the head or them trying to dive out of the way from the ball, but it's moving too fast. Mm-hmm. Right? Like this sport is just as much of a physical and contact sport as any other sport. I mean, you're not physically putting a body on somebody, but I'm using something to hit somebody. Right. Right. And it, and it comes to that game of, all right, cool. You think it's gay. You think it's a girl sport. Right. You come out here and let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, that, and that was always my mentality of I'll show you. I'd rather not tell you. I'll show you. Come, come step out here. Let's see what happens. Exactly. I totally get that. Even when I was coaching, I remember always saying like, don't feed into the stereotypes, like play aggressive, you know, like you said, it is a physical sport. Don't play into the stereotypes of it being this and feminine is probably not the PC way to say this, but you know what I mean? Like it's not as it's not, it's not soft. It's not right. It's not chess. Like it's going to be something that is meant for a competitor at all Mm -hmm. times for sure. Exactly. So during, during all this, I mean, what was the struggle with identity? Did you feel any pressure, stress, anxiety, like anything that looking back now you may notice, like I'm sure in the moment you probably weren't thinking about stuff like that, like anxiety and things, but looking back, do you feel like you had anything going on or? Oh, for sure. Um, Without a question. I mean, I had my own depressions and like doubts, especially while I transferred schools Mm -hmm. and I was at Lake Forest. Um, You know, you're, a black kid and most people tend to black kids not being intelligent right so like i'm fighting this stereotype of i'm not smart and so if i ask for help well yep he's a dummy like we thought he was so like you rather shut up and not say anything and figure it out on your own which is a part of who i am now right like i hate asking for help because i don't want people to look at me as less than right so like mm-hmm. doing that as a high school kid definitely adds its own troubles and its own worries for you because you're like can i really do this right like am i capable of this like i didn't think i would go to college i knew ball would help me get there but once i got there like hell am i gonna actually be able to fucking graduate like my parents didn't even think i would graduate from college right like Mm -hmm. because all i cared about was ball really and it used i used that as a way and and a tool to help me as i told you right like volleyball was my like sanctum it was my safe place so like anytime I had any troubles, any stressors, any anxieties about things, like I just went and played. And that helped me kind of like get into that noise canceling system, right? Like my own personal, I don't hear anybody. I don't feel anything. Like it's just me and this team playing or me and this ball getting whatever I need done. And, and it helped me get through a lot in my life, um, even with like breakups, right? Like I go and play ball and that helps me deal with either the anger I have, or it helps me deal with any of the sadness I may feel like it allows me to fill that void of something that I thought would be a big part of my life. Right. But I fill it with something that's always been there as my, I guess you could say a crutch. Sure. I think we all this, I mean, it escapes and people look at it like, Oh, you're avoiding your problems and stuff. And I, I'm not saying that it's just like, everyone has an outlet and it's, it was a healthy, it's healthy outlet. It's not like you're out there you know, doing smack on this, you know, like you're, you know, you're putting it towards something productive. 
now, you know, it was the same thing for me. Um, and like when I stopped playing, it was definitely like filling that void with whether it was working out or playing basketball, whatever it was, you know, for you, we mean, you've kind of talked about it, you know, graduation, you know, you, there's no more volleyball playing, you know, what, you know, walk me through what you're feeling, you know, how was that? Um, so for me, after graduating college, um, I was going to go play pro overseas and I had an agent, he had a contract for me in Greece. So I'm like, awesome. Like I'm going to continue my, my dream of playing and I'm still an athlete, like it's still my grind. And then that contract fell through because for those who don't know, for men's volleyball, the only way to go pro is overseas. And everyone in the pipeline knows if you go to Greece, there's a strong likelihood that you won't be paid at all. Oh shit. And so I, I kind of heard that and saw a couple of my buddies go through it. And I was like, it's not really what I want. I need something else. And my agent kind of dragged his feet. And around that time, um, boys club tryouts are starting. It was around that Labor Day weekend. And so I just started helping my dad run the club. And um, while doing that, it came to the point where I wasn't going to get a contract in time. So I was like, all right, forget it. I'm just going to stay home, help my dad work his club, and I'll figure something out. Like as time went, that never happened. And I was just coaching. And I wasn't working another job. And coaching club, you know, you don't make much money. Oh. No. Right. You, it's the, you it's the extra enough, money. Maybe. Yeah. It's like your yeah. extra, extra cash to use. Mm -hmm. And so I was in that slump of doing nothing. Right. Like I'm just going to go coach and I'm going to do nothing. I don't feel inspired to do anything. But even on top of that, like, yeah, I got my degree in sports administration, but like, I had no idea what in the hell I wanted to do with it. You know, like I got this degree, I hear cool, that, man. but I don't know what the hell I want to do with it. Um, mm -hmm. So you, you fall into this, okay, I'm supposed to go into the work world, but I don't even know what the hell I want to do in the work world. Like, so, so who the hell am I? What the hell do I want to do? Where am I trying to get to? Because ball was what I was focused on the most. And, and that was my real dream at the time of being able to play professional. And when that didn't happen, I mean, going from the age of, I mean, I started playing on teams in the fifth grade. I was playing an eighth grade team when I was in fifth grade. So I've been an athlete since the fifth grade. And you go from fifth grade until your fifth year of college, you're playing, and that's your full-time gig. Mm -hmm. And then you stop doing that. And for somebody who this game is your safe space in a way, you lose that. And now you're like, everything is right here in your face. You're dealing with all these things and you're trying to figure out how to navigate through them and how to still keep your peace and keep your sanity in a way. Um, so it was tough for sure. But I think after a couple of years, I mean, I kind of got back into it, into the adult world of being able to play. Mm -hmm. So I had that relief again, but when you, and it's something I, I really preach to my kids is, I want to help you figure out what your steps is after you graduate college, mm -hmm. because I don't want you to end up like most athletes. They all athletes, once they graduate, fall into a, a big minor, whatever it is, part of depression, because you lose that sense of identity. You out of your day of 24 hours, seven to eight of those hours are dedicated to your sport. And then you have school, right? Like when I was in college, I was coaching high school. And then from coaching high school, I went into coaching club while in season. So like volleyball was my full-time gig. Oh yeah. It's your life. It was, it was practice in the morning for me, go to classes, 
go to club practice or high school practice and that was my day and then come back and study and finish it out but volleyball is all I did and all I knew and so when it came to trying to actually find a job with my sports administration degree I didn't have any idea what I wanted to do with it or where I wanted to go with it or how to even really use it right like I went and got this degree but like there's so many avenues I could take in it. I don't even know which one to go with and which mm-hmm. one I really like. Um, so it's just that part of it, it's big for me. Cause I've been through it of helping my kids make sure they don't go into the same troubles that I've been through, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when you were, when you were going through that, did you have, I mean, how was like the support system where did you feel like you were alone? Did you have, you know, parents, girlfriend um, at the time, whatever. I, I had, my group of friends mm-hmm. um, that I can lean on and talk with, but I'm, I'm such a internal person that I don't really talk much to others about my problems. I kind of just deal with them and figure out how to deal with it, yeah. um, which is kind of how I am still to this day. Like I still talk, like my wife is my biggest supporter. She's mm-hmm. awesome. Um, we met when I was 26 and we've been together since and now I'm 30. So it, it's, she's a great sounding board for me. She's a great supporter. If I need things like she knows when's the time to come and say something to me. And when's the time, ah, Larry just needs to like sit and be alone for a little yeah. bit to get it. Have yeah. Right. Time to get Let him do it himself. Right? For sure. Yeah. Um, and, and it's taking her time to get that too, but just having somebody who understands me just as much as I understand myself is awesome. So mm-hmm. like, I would say I have more now of support system than I did around that time directly out of college. Um, Cause you know, we all have friends yeah. that they're friends, but like there's some things you really don't feel comfortable talking about. Cause you don't know yeah. if your friendship really is to that level. Um, sure. And also like, I, I'm that person of, I never say anything's wrong because if you complain, who's really going to listen? Like they got their own crap to deal with. Why are they gonna listen to your complaints? You know? I get um, that. So I kind of like kept those things in, but mm-hmm. I had those couple of people I could talk with. Um, never really talked with my parents about many of my problems or anything like mm-hmm. that. It's just not the relationship we built or had. Sure. Um, not saying they, they weren't supporters of me. It's just when it came to that kind of stuff, I felt it was my duty to figure it out, not theirs, you know, mm-hmm. my burden. I get that. Yeah. And I think, I mean, what you're saying, I, I can totally relate to, and I'm sure so many, especially men can relate to. I mean, um, like what I hear you saying that it's like, damn, like, and don't take this the wrong way, but like, that's part of the problem. Right. And that mm-hmm. like, just in, in general, as society, like you said, you know, you were, you were afraid to ask for help, you know, in school because you don't want to be looked at as like stupid or can't figure it out. And the same goes for mental health for so many people out there. And like, I just want to say thank you for, our, for dudes for, you know, talking about this right now, because by doing that, like, I think that's one of the major ways people do start to heal is starting to talk about it. Even if it is with, I mean, like you said, like we all got some of those friends. It's like, all right, you're a dipshit. I can't tell you, like, I can't tell you, like, you know what I mean? Like you're, <laughs> yeah. we're just here to have a good time, but like, you've got your yeah. close buddies that, you know, are going to listen and understand. And even if they don't understand, but like, you can talk to them. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, I, I commend you for, for doing that and I'm glad you got through it. Um, was there anything like, do you remember anything specifically that helped you kind of get through this? Like what was kind of you know, did you see like, Hey, I'm trying to get to here, you know, kind of like, a, you know, light um, in the tunnel. I don't know if it was necessarily that. I think I just mm-hmm. got to the point of my life where I was like more understanding. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're, and you're okay with who you are in a way, right. You're not fully okay with it, but you understand where you are. Isn't where you're always going to be. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then just constantly working on yourself and not being afraid to do that. Like I'm not a religious person, but I'm a, I'm a spiritual person, right? Yeah, like I do yeah. believe in a, in a higher being, but I don't believe there's just one. I believe we all have somebody different and all have something that, out there. Um, and the more I started getting into that, the more I started to become humbled um, and become more capable of talking myself through things, right? Like there was one um, quote someone told me and it was, uh, God speaks to you in a familiar voice, always comes to you and talks to you in a familiar voice. And they were like, and that voice is your own because what voice is more familiar to you than your own voice? So when you're talking to yourself in your head, really that's the higher being talking you through your problems. So like for that. me, like that, that was like huge for me. Cause it's like, I'm not dealing with this on my own. Like I am dealing with somebody helping me through this. Yeah. It sounds like I'm talking to myself, but I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm really talking with someone else who's understands the greater path more than I do. Um, and understands that there's a bigger purpose of whatever it is. So I think it just took time as I became more and more spiritual, um, and more and more devoted in bettering myself and understanding that there's no happiness without sadness, Mm. right? There's no victory without failure, right? Just understanding that it's a a balance in life. Mm -hmm. There's never going to be just a one-way thing. Like life is about balance. And with balance comes light and dark. You can't just have one or the other. And being able to accept my faults more and to be able to accept the things I've done wrong, right? Like most of us don't want to fess up to the things we've done wrong because Mm -hmm. we feel it puts us in a different light. And being able to get to a point where I'm like, yeah, back then when I did that, that was messed up. Like I got to accept my faults on that because without that, then I wouldn't have gotten to this point or yeah, this relationship I was in, it didn't work out great because of this was my part I played into it, which made it not a great relationship. Well, okay, if I didn't have that, I wouldn't know how to be with my current wife, right? And I wouldn't be able to work through things with her that we need to make sure we're successful and that we're together, you know? Mm -hmm. So uh, I wouldn't say there was like a particular time where it happened. It kind of just over time, when you sit in a room, a room by yourself a lot, <laughs> you know, like Heard that. Yeah. When you got nothing but time. You start to just get familiar with it and you start to be comfortable in that situation. And it's something I, I live my life on, which is being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Hell yeah. I got that shit and, posted on my wall. So I'm right there oh, with you, man. Dude, all day, right? Like absolutely. Comfortability brings complacency. Right? Mm-hmm. If I'm complacent, I'm not growing. Uh, you have to be in uncomfortable situations to grow as a person. Like if you're just happy where you are now, well, you're going to be the same person from the age of 18 until you die. Like that's no growth at all in your life. That, that That's a wasted life. You've been the same person for this long and no one's meant to be the same person their whole life. You're going to change either drastically in some areas or you're going to change minimalist, right? Like mm-hmm. minimally in, in some areas, but like you're going to change and that's okay. And that's good to do. So Um, I just think over time it was little bits by little bits. And then sometimes there would be a big jump where I had like a major breakthrough on my own about just dealing with some things. Um, But yeah, I I don't think it was, I can't think of one specific time where it was like that light bulb hit, but it was just that gradual um, progression of understanding. 
Absolutely. I think that's more realistic. I mean, it is like, I, from what I'm hearing from you is honestly, it's like, I can tell you've done so much self-reflection and the self-growth and acknowledging things you did in the past and the reasons for them. And to me, like what you're talking about with spirituality, like that all ties in with like the universe and all these things that have happened to you and are going to happen to you that are really leading you to where you're supposed to be. Like you said, the light, the dark, like life, life wouldn't be beautiful if we didn't have these, you know, quote unquote, awful things happen to us. These amazing things. It just, it wouldn't put in perspective. If everything was gravy all the time, like, would you really even get excited about things or, you know, correct. correct. You know, self-reflection. Did you like meditation? What are we talking? Like, are you just, so I tried meditation, but mm -hmm. ADD <laughs> too heavy, you know, like For real. Yeah. I couldn't sit still that long. Um, so like most of my meditation would be like me just listening to music, just sitting there. Um, because sometimes like all of us, right. Sometimes we're, scared to be alone with our thoughts yeah because our thoughts can be our our demons coming back at us but um once you understand that you have to face your demons at some point mm -hmm. to get where you got to go and come into the understanding of it's okay that this happened to me in my life because it made me the person i am today which is a greater person absolutely and not not letting that trauma or whatever it is cripple you but rather so using it as a weapon, right? And using it for the better side. Like you get negatives and positives all day in your life, but it's how you take them and you use them that make them that negative or that positive, right? I can take in a negative, but I can flip it and make it a positive if I look at it a different way. And that took a long time to get because, I mean, hell, even as a player, I was, I'm very pessimistic. And so like, that's what helped me get, the work ethic I had as an athlete mm -hmm. to always see there's something that needs to be fixed. There's always something that could be better. Um, but at some point you got to realize that, well, shit, this was awesome. Like, this is what I needed. This is helped me get to where I got to go. Um, I mean, we talked about it being a, a black man in America isn't easy for those who don't believe it. And those who do believe it, like it is, it, it's not that simple just for us. Like there's a daily, thought going through my head of, am I going through the right area? Am I going to be okay in this town? Should I stop for gas here? Should I not stop for gas here? Yeah. Um, Cause you're in the South. And they, right. Right. So I'm in Georgia now. And mm -hmm. I mean, where I'm at, it's, I'm in like a air force base town. So it's, it's a good mix of people. Mm -hmm. um, but like you could take one wrong turn down a back road and be in the spot you shouldn't be in. Right. And, and depending on if it's daytime or nighttime, you're like, Oh shit. Like, I need to <laughs> fuck gas. Like, let's yeah, go. Get the fuck <laughs> out of here. Yep. We got to get, get moving fast. Um, but like just taking that and, and what I wanted to say off of it is we kind of talked about it and that's, you don't, it's stigmatized so hard still in the black community. I mean, it's getting better, especially in the last year or two about mental health in our own community. Mm -hmm. It used to be looked at as, Oh, they have problems or they're crazy or, you're soft, right? Like you said it too, like man the fuck up. Yeah. Like you're being a bitch. Deal yeah. with it. Yeah. Deal yeah. with it. Move on. Like you're good. Um, and I think being able to have people around you that you can honestly tell them or they can say, yo, it's all good. Like it's okay to feel this way is huge because we're so used to taking whatever our problems are 
and just bottling them in and shoving them so deep that you don't deal with them. And then that just causes for more to build and build and build until the bottle busts. And then mm -hmm. that bottle busts, now you're dealing with something that is much larger than it could have been, right? And mm -hmm. uh, I know you're, you're heavy into therapy and I am too, but I just haven't gotten into it yet, right? Like my wife does therapy, I haven't. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it's something I would love to get into. It's just one of those, I wouldn't say fears, but it's just one of those things like you still kind of stop yourself. You're like, ah, I don't mm, like you, you yeah. find a reason not to rather than a reason to. Um, Absolutely. And, and that's part of just the stigma you grew up with that is still like embedded in the back of your head the whole mm -hmm. time of you don't need that. You're okay. You're no. good. And, and to have a, a father who is, such a strong man you know like a strong role model as well like mm -hmm. you're like ah, i can deal with this i'm good i can deal with this and you're trying to like live off of what you've seen him do mm -hmm. also adds its own troubles you know um to where you feel like vulnerability is weakness and it's not vulnerability actually is a very strong asset to use in any situation like i, I the more vulnerable you are, the more open and receptive you are to what's going on around you. Um, so being able to understand that helps me, but just the, the mental stigmas in a community where that's not what you do mm -hmm. or else you're looked at as soft, weak, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Absolutely. I was talking to the last guest I had on, uh, Trey Moss. Um, he's black and we kind of got stalking. It was like, how hard it can be and i can't speak for it but just from the outside looking in you know mental health in the black community is even like a whole nother taboo it's like like you said like your dad super strong like just i don't know him. i don't i've met him a couple of times but it's like strong ass dude like i'm sure like he was more of like a hey kind of man up kind of guy i mean he's an army army is that correct mm -hmm. yep, yeah yep, like, army. so i'm sure he must have i'm sure that was kind of like uh I want to say a negative thing but like you know it kind of influenced more of like the, hey you better stay strong that type of thing is that is that accurate it wasn't necessarily yeah it wasn't necessarily like a, a vocalized thing it was just yeah. like as a kid you want to be like your parent right so you're like yep i don't see him cry ever so i'm not gonna cry like yep crying is showing weakness type thing and it's mm -hmm. not like he ever bashed it or anything like that it was just as a kid and i i say it to my college kids is when you're in high school and younger like you're your parents kid you have their same beliefs, you have their same ideals, you have their same thoughts. You don't have any of your own yet. So you're just looking up to them for mm -hmm. guidance of what they do. And then when you get to college, you kind of figure out what yours are. And so seeing him, it's just, and my mom was more of the like actual emotional person, right? Like she was that emotional, um, I wouldn't say support, but person you could lean on and wouldn't be afraid to say, I love you or mm -hmm. give you a hug or a kiss or whatever it is, right? Like having the affection and showing the affection. She was more of that. And he was more of the, this is what we do this is where we go. This is how we like more planned out, like step-by-step step, mm -hmm. drill sergeant in a way. Right. Um, I mean, both my parents were in the military. Mm -hmm. That's how they met. They met in the army. Um, and so having two military parents, I mean, you have one who's more of the affection and one more of the strong, like, right. So you have the strength and you have the, the compassion mm -hmm. on the other hand. So you're getting best of both worlds still but you're still trying to go off what you see 
right? Like this is the black male figure I have in my life. And this is how he is. Yeah. Right. And, and it's never brought up to say, Hey, it's okay to go talk to somebody or it's okay to do this or that or whatever it is. I wouldn't say stunt your growth, but it slowly, it slows it down Yeah, because you can get so much further uh, to where you're trying to get to. If you had that person to be like, Hey, it's okay to do this. It's okay to go talk with somebody. It's okay to be vulnerable. Uh, it's okay to show the weakness. Uh, and now, I mean, he's getting older in his age and he's, like we said, developing and changing in himself. And he's even talking to the point of like, it's okay to see someone. It's okay to talk about this. It's okay to be vulnerable, but in front of the right people. Yeah. Right. You don't want to be vulnerable in front of the wrong people because some people will take advantage of it. Right. Some, some people use that weakness and they go, Oh, awesome. Now I can take advantage of you and like make you do what I want and put you into my will. So it's being vulnerable around the right people. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, a couple more things I want to talk about, you know, I don't want to overlook a couple of things. I mean, talk about identity and you talked about like, you know, you said it like being black, like, do you identify as black or like, do you want to kind of touch on that? So I used to like identify only as black um, because the way I would put it to people and they would say, Oh, you're not black. Your mom's white. Then I would hit them back with, okay. So if we were back in 1930s, 1940s, would I be lynched? And they would just stop and pause. They'd be like, uh, like, exactly. I would be. So I'm considered black. Um, But I mean, I've never disregarded my mom and her side of the family and, now I use instead of mixed or, or biracial because there's only one race. It's the human race. So I'm not mm-hmm. biracial. I'm not mixed with an, an alien. Right. Like, right. Right. Exactly. I'm, 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 I'm mulatto, which okay. mulatto is the mixture of cultures, right. Is a, is a, a Caucasian parent and a, and a black parent. Okay. And so like now I'm all about pushing that because I see how many more kids there are out there like me who struggle with those same those same uh, stigmas mm-hmm. of you're not black and you're not white. Um, even on my podcast, one of my other co-hosts, he's mulatto and he dealt with the same thing. And he had a brother who was really good at basketball. My brother was really good at basketball. I mean, I did football was my main sport, but I was at a higher level in volleyball when I was in the USA pipeline, mm-hmm. but I'm playing just like pop Warner football, but I'm the star. And so kind of fighting that all going about it. I think, that's where it really got to okay no that makes sense and i I also don't think too like if people are like labeling as one thing the other is bullshit too like it doesn't like i don't think people look at me like oh hey he's white it's like it's not like i'm justin you're larry like we're fucking people like you said it doesn't like eh, i don't know it's all fucking bullshit which honestly it's it's craziness um but i mean like people say don't judge a book by its cover and I always tell people at the same time, like I call bullshit because you have to judge a book off of its cover because you have to know what you're getting into before you get yeah, to it. So I understand people see me, Oh, he's black, but then they talk to me and they realize I'm not okay. Now that label has to change. Mm-hmm. And now you know really what I am and who I stand for and what I'm about. And that's when it goes like, I'm all good with anybody seeing like, Oh, he's black or, he he hell i used to get confused when we were playing back in high school and club when we would have the puerto rican teams there they would think i was puerto rican 
I could see that. I mean, you, yeah, you do. They would, you do kind of look Puerto Rican, yeah, right? <laughs> right. Right. And they would come up to me and start speaking Spanish, and I'd look at them. I'm like, bro, I don't know what you're saying. I'm black. <laughs> like, I'm not. I'm not Puerto Rican, bro. Like, I appreciate the love, but I don't understand you. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, so, like, we all have these labels, and labels just help us get a brief identity of what we're looking at, and it's not the end all, be all. I think it's those who take those labels and they keep you in that label and don't want to move you. I think that's where we really fall into the problems. That's fair. It's really fair. Let's talk about uh, motivate a little bit. You want to tell everyone what that is and you know, what it's all about, why you started it. Yeah. Um, so motivate is a podcast. I started um, just a couple months, month after George Floyd was killed. Um, I had a buddy reach out to me. who's a white coach. Um, he was a head coach that I was working with at the time. And he was like, Hey, like, I think this would be a great time for you to like talk about what it's like to be black and in the sports. Like, I think you're the ideal person to do it because I don't know of anyone else who could bring together this many people and have a conversation and be able to do it. And I was like, yeah, cool. Like whatever at first. And then I like reached out to my buddy Theo, who's at um, California state university of Northridge. And I was like, Hey, I'm thinking about this idea of, doing a podcast talking about the black experience in men's volleyball. And he was, and I was like, what do you think? He's like, bro, I'm a hundred percent in. You just tell me when, where, and what we got to do. And then like each person I reached out to, they were like, absolutely. Let's do it. Like that, that sounds awesome. It's something that's been needed to get done. Um, And so we've had in our first season, we kind of just highlighted the issues um, a black male kind of goes through playing a predominantly white sport, Mm -hmm. whether it be, um, being mulatto, which me and our one of our co-hosts are, and the things you deal with of the microaggressions where you're with your white friends and you're technically the black guy, so you aren't white at all and you're not accepted into that. Right. Um, and then we've talked about playing professional, how we're not really liked here in the States, but we're really not liked overseas either if you really want to be honest about it. Oh, shit. Yeah, I didn't like, think There are countries that. over in Europe. Yeah, there's countries over in Europe that black people aren't welcomed either mm-hmm. like you go to finland i had a kid i coached who went and played in finland and um he was out at a bar they had just won he's out with his teammates and they're having some drinks and they step outside to go have a cigarette and he's just sitting at the bar and he's having a a beer and this guy is just like staring at him and he's like okay whatever like i'm gonna keep vibing doing my thing like i'm not worried about this dude but then he starts yelling something at him in finnish and then the guy just goes what spits in his face fuck and he just immediately cocks back and knocks this dude out and he did it because he was black and you have to understand like in the states i wouldn't even say in the states it starts with movies right because movies depict reality some form of reality mm-hmm. and if you look back to the early 2000s and before that what are the roles most black people played they played the drug dealer the crackhead the sports player, the rapper, right? They never played anything other than these thugs, in a way, roles. Mm-hmm. And so some countries overseas, shit, they're just now getting like 2010 movies. Damn, I didn't think, so, yeah. And they've, and they've mm-hmm. never met, they've never met nor seen a black person in their life. So what do they have to go off of? They have to go off of this movie they've watched of what a black person is like. And so they build these own beliefs around what we are and who we are off of those and so 
I had that young man come onto our podcast and kind of talk about his experience because um, that was his trauma and he never really brings it up much because it kind of still boils him, right? That's a, that's something you're not used to. You're in a foreign country mm-hmm. and you get into a brawl with this guy just because of how you look. And there are other co-hosts, um, Josh Walker, who is the assistant coach at Hawaii. He was like, yeah, like I know for a fact it's 10 times as hard for a black player to get a contract overseas because there are simply coaches who won't hire a black kid or a black player. Mm-hmm. And you're like, damn, like, I want to just play this game I love, but my opportunities are way less than my white counterparts. And I had to fight just as hard as they are. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've talked about um, just like your different movements and trying to get people involved and having our white counterparts feel comfortable being uncomfortable and having these conversations and Mm -hmm. being a part of things and knowing it's okay for you to step in and say, I want to help. Right. And you don't have to sit on the side like, I don't know what to do. I can't help. It's not for me. Um, we just touch on a bunch of different issues. Mm-hmm. This coming season, we're going to talk on um, like highlighting more black men involved in the sport. So we'll talk with some guys who are playing pro. We'll talk with some guys who are in the USA pipeline for us. Um, <clears throat> we'll talk with some coaches. We'll talk with some AVP guys. So, like, we got some good names to come in. Um, Jalen Penrose, who played at Penn State, who was just in our national team gym over the summer for the Pan Am, who's playing pro now. Um, We have Jacob Pasture, who's a right side at Ohio State now, who I got in contact with from his head coach, who gave him my contact as a former black player in the MIVA, Mm -hmm. of somebody to reach out to and have a conversation with and just talk about my experiences. So he has somebody comfortable with to talk Um, and just highlighting these different people to show how and why and celebrate, right? Like I changed the MVB from men's volleyball to mind, voice, and body, right? We're motivating the mind first, which was the first season, which was these are the problems. So I'm going to enlighten you on what's going on so we can mentally be prepared for whatever it is. Mm-hmm. The next part is the voice. So now we're going to highlight those who are doing well and who are in these great positions, who have thrived in this sport. Now we're going to allow you to see that you have a voice in this sport. And the last one is the body, right? Like these are the things we can do to get on from that because the body doesn't do anything before the mind is okay with it. But the voice doesn't start until the mind is in it. Right. So it all kind of builds onto each other of how it moves. Right. Like I have to have the mental capacity to understand what's happening and and having the okayness with it to be able to have these conversations. And then once I have enough understanding, okay, now I can start to voice things. I can start to articulate what it is I want to get across. And then once you do that, now you can actually start getting involved more and doing things. And that's where the body comes in. So for us, it's, it's big in, and I don't want to make it just be volleyball. Like I, my plan is years down the road to venture it off to being all things, right? Mm-hmm. Like just to show young black kids that there's more out there than just basketball, football, and track, right? You can be a neurosurgeon. You can be an astronaut. You can be a doctor. You can be a lawyer. You can be an astrophysicist, whatever it is you want to be. Like I want to show you these people who are doing it and who are awesome at what they do because – you never believe you could do something until you see someone like you doing it. And that's something I'm huge on because all of us have somebody we looked up to who looks like us mm-hmm. and that made us go, okay, it is okay for us to get involved with this. And that's 
the big push of what we're trying to do in the volleyball community is seeing more of us involved allows these younger kids to go, oh, so this is something we can do. Or, right. oh, this is something I'm interested in because I can see myself doing it now mm-hmm. rather than trying to get inspiration from somebody who's Caucasian or Hispanic or whatever it is, right? Like, yeah, I can use them as they're a really good player, but if I see a really good black player and I'm black, like, that's my star player. And that's how I am with hockey, right? Like, I've never played hockey in my life. I've never really watched hockey in my life, but PK got me involved, Yep. right? PK is a freaking stud. He's the reason why I'm a damn Predators fan, even though he's no longer with the Predators. But I'm a Predators fan now because of it, because of him. And you look actually into it more, you have more black people playing hockey than you ever thought were actually involved in the sport. Mm -hmm. Granted, they're coming from Canada, which is is part of the bloodline, right? Like, it's what they do. Um, but you have those who are African descent playing hockey now, whether they be from Canada or they be from Sweden or they be Mm -hmm. from wherever it is, you have these influences that are now enlightening these younger kids that they can do something. And that's really what we're trying to do with motivate is just enlighten and motivate, right? Like what people can do and knowing that it's okay to do these different things and be yourself at the end of the day, you know? Yeah, I love it, man. I love it. I, I like I see the parallels like what you're doing, like with what we're trying to do. It's like if I was a young black player and I didn't think I had a chance, didn't think like why would I even start? But you like see something like, you know, the starting right side at, you know, on the Olympic team is black or something. It's like but you hear their story through your through your podcast. It's like that's what gives people hope. It's all, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. the hope that you can do anything. You and that you're not there's always someone that's probably done it or been through something really similar, whether it is like, Hey, I've been really like, I've been really depressed, but I, but this person runs this business or is a professional athlete or I'm black and I can play a sport that isn't predominantly black. Like you said, like it, it's awesome, man. Like I'm, I'm so excited for you. And I hope, cause I just think of, man, like there's so much potential for the sport to grow in general, especially once, you know, it needs to be an all encompassing sport, not just quote unquote, rich white kids. And mm-hmm. that's not what it's about. I mean, you're you're missing, you're missing out on, I wouldn't say half, but you're missing out on just say 30% of just athletes. Yeah. Like just people like you're not even touching into all of your U S citizens, right? Like imagine how much better our USA pipeline would be if all races who are American actually got involved and were able to play mm-hmm. it would we would absolutely run the damn oh for sure world hell yeah um so it's just those kind of things and i think as you said like we run parallel like crazy with a lot of what we're doing because we're both trying to motivate people to understand mm-hmm. it's okay whether it's okay to deal with mental struggles and to accept and, and find that help or it's okay to be this one black kid involved with all these other kids. It's okay. You're going to be all right. There, there are people here for you to help you get through those things. It's just finding those people is what the real trouble comes down to. Mm-hmm. But that's the, I mean, that's like the amazing thing about all of this. Like you started this during the pandemic, you know, virtually over the internet, you know, through our, through the network and everything. And, like if you're, you know, if you're, you know, I always say this when people are listening to the podcast or whatever, um, 
if you feel like you are alone, like there's so many outlets, like you don't need to know Larry to follow his page or feel connected to a community because everyone that's following him or following us, like it, it automatically puts you as a part of like the family of, you know, everyone there's like-minded, you know, we're all trying to grow, you know, you're trying to grow the sport and man, it's fucking awesome, dude. It's because you, I mean, I'm not kidding, man. When we grew up, like you were the only kid I knew that was like, there was you, the kid from Outrigger, maybe big fro. You ended up, you ended up going to play basketball somewhere. Oh, that was, um, he played for Highline. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It was, it was Highline now. That was, so that was one of my best friends. It still is one of my best friends. Yeah. Um, Mike, Mike Wilder, he went to Irvine. Yep, that's the one. Basketball. Yep. Funny, funny thing is, we share the same exact birthday. No shit. <laughs> yeah, we found that out through USA Volleyball. We met, and um, like they put the posting. Usually, they used to use your uh, date of birth, mm-hmm. and so there were two of the same birthdays. And I was like, "Yo, Dad, did I make it or did I not make it? Like, this is confusing <laughs> as hell." Right. <laughs> so he reached out. I was like, "Yeah, it was just two of you guys," and let alone we were roomed together, mm-hmm. and then so happens we have the same birthday room together and the only black guys so it's like what in the hell is the coincidence of this yeah um but yeah yeah that's mike he's awesome then uh one more big big lefty jamian yep yep yeah jamian yeah yeah who is like a brother to me i've known since university guy yeah yeah it's like it's it's sad that i only know like i only think of three but like incredible players incredible fucking players like man but like like you were saying though you find that community Mm -hmm. and and it helps you feel welcomed like as a black player as soon as you walk in and you see another black player like you're immediately best friends because you both deal with the same things right you deal Mm -hmm. with being an outsider so you have something in common that helps you move on And, and how you're saying of you feel as if you're alone but you can find pages that you could become a part of that community, right? Like a part of your community, a part of my community. Mm-hmm. There are things I find I follow on social media that are inspirational. And I'm a part of that community of just daily inspirational things that uplift me that I can use to help uplift others in life, you know? And it's finding your own tribe, right? We all have a tribe we belong to. It's just finding it. And it's mm-hmm. being okay with trying different things to see if that tribe fits for you. And not thinking you have to go to just this one. And if it doesn't work in this one, well, you're hopeless. It's trying this one out. That one didn't work. Cool. I'm going to go try this one. I'm going to go try that one. It's just how we go and find our favorite restaurants. It's the mm-hmm. same way you find your tribe. You have For to real. try different ones, right? You got to try different ones to figure out which one really is your favorite, and which one you really belong to. Absolutely. There's a couple more topics I want to get to before uh, you got to get out of here. Now, you're your college coach right now. And I don't want to, I don't want to over, like, overlook this because you're you're coaching at an hbcu um that's like this is it blows my mind like i'd even know like this is new is it this this year or last year was like the first so last year was supposed to be the men's inaugural season the women's yeah. team already had it um, okay but this year was the the men's inaugural season mm-hmm. um well last year was supposed to be but then covid hit and um so i got pushed back a year because we weren't really going to be able to get out and recruit Mm-hmm. So they pushed us back on our start. So this will be our inaugural season. Our first match will be January 12th against oh, yeah. uh, Reinhardt in Georgia. That's awesome. Do you, did you have, 
like a struggle find like putting together a team or like with athletes out there like have you um, seen a climate like more and more black players playing i wouldn't say i've seen yes there are more playing but there still aren't enough right, right? um i was able to get 13 12 to 13 guys that are actually all black um and, and being at an HBCU, and it's one thing I want to always remind people is an HBCU is still just a accredited university. So it's not just for black people, right? It's for all races, mm -hmm. right? And all ethnicities. Um, but it's just those who are okay with going against the social norm. Mm -hmm. Because this world has always told you, you have to go to this kind of university. You have to go to this kind of place. You have to be here. You have to be there. And it's just, again, putting you in that label and keeping you in that label rather than you figuring it out. Um, HBCUs were only HBCUs, which is a historically black college or university. They just came about during segregation, right? It's the only way we could get to a college. Mm -hmm. And they just kept it as an HBCU, but your other universities are technically called PWIs, which is a predominantly white institution. Okay. And so no no one tells a, a black kid when they're recruiting to, to go to that school, hey, we're a PWI, just to let you know you're going to be dealing with a lot of white people around yeah. you, and you're going to deal with a lot of racial slurs, or you're going to deal with this, that, and the other. So why should I have to tell you that when it comes to HBCU? It's just a different yeah. culture. That's all, right? Like, you learn more being around people who are different, mm -hmm. because it gives you a bigger view of things to see and it allows you to see from a perspective that you normally wouldn't be able to see from. Um, so I have a team that's majority made up of black men, mm -hmm. but it's not where we're planning to stay. Uh, I want to get those white kids who are like minded with what we're trying to do, which mm -hmm. is break down this social norm and this stigma of what it is and okay with going against what the norm is. Uh, we want Hispanic kids we want asian american like i want everything like I, yeah. I joke when i say it but i want our team to be like a freaking united nation you know what i mean like yeah because i want you to be able to learn from different backgrounds because different cultures even help you learn like you may have this in common but their culture allows them to do this this or this and your culture does this this and this and now you just broaden your horizon and your growth mm -hmm. as a person from that i think what you're saying because honestly what i was thinking in just kind of as you're talking about it, like if you, if it was all black, like it would almost be fueling the segregation. Mm -hmm. And like what you're doing is like, the, it, you explained it perfectly. It's like, yeah, black people only went here because it's, all, it's the only place they could go. Mm -hmm. And a place, you know, you feel safe there, but it doesn't mean that like white people can't go, you know, everything like that. It's, I love that you said that because I, as you're saying it, it's like, like you said, you don't, you're not trying to increase the segregation. It's, you know, making it a melting pot and yeah. It's, how how yeah. else do we get past the whole, I wouldn't say hate, but like the not understanding of what a black person goes through unless you're immersed in what their life is like mm -hmm. and you get into their culture and you understand what it's like and you go, Oh, this isn't what I thought it was. This is actually awesome. I mm -hmm. love this. <laughs> you know, like, you never get that experience unless you venture out from what you're used to. But too many people are afraid to go against that norm mm -hmm. and say no to what you believe I should do because I want to go here because this is a, just as good of an opportunity for me as a person to grow, excuse me, 
to grow as a person, as an athlete, right, and as a student. I mean, we have some of the top programs in Georgia in a couple of our university classes, like our agriculture, our nursing program that's coming, our psychology program. Like, we have great programs here that are just as good as your typical PWI, right? But people don't look at them as much because, one, counselors at high schools don't talk about HBCUs rarely ever. They don't even mention it to people. Um, and then you have the stigma of an HBCU only being for black people. And it's not. I mean, it's just somewhere mm -hmm. people go who are black to feel more to their culture and to learn more of their culture, right? Because we're probably the one race or the one culture that has most of their identity erased. And they're trying to figure it out. So this is the one way we can kind of keep that identity and learn more of ourselves and learn more of our ancestral heritage mm -hmm. of what's been going on for us. Did you seek out this opportunity or how did it come about? It seems um, to align, honestly, it seems to align like perfectly with what you're trying to do. Yeah, it was a mixture, a mixture of both. Um, the funny thing is my dad was a part of First Point Volleyball Foundation, um, which is who's going around and donating money to universities to start men's volleyball okay. programs. Um, and he was kind of a part of the initiative of getting it to HBCUs because how else can we reach our young black kids and get them involved without them seeing it, right? Um, so he kind of was initiative of it. And then me being who I am and everyone really knowing me in this world, in this volleyball community, mm -hmm. um, I was sought after by the AD here. Also me reaching out as well, trying to get the opportunity to be a head coach, right? Everybody wants to be a freaking head coach. Mm -hmm. So being able to have the opportunity was awesome. Um, so it was a mixture of the two, um, but it was at the exact right time. It's awesome. It you seems know, to be it's a like one of those things where, we, yeah, it's one of those things where we talk about uh, there being a higher power. There was a hundred percent something at work that I had no idea about. Absolutely, you it's, know? A, it's a perfect fit, man. Uh, yeah. So, what we like to talk about here is like you know people go through their struggles, but it's all about you know continuing to strive for their dreams. I mean, like right now, like is there any goals that you have like that you can think of that kind of you're striving for right now? In what, in what form? You tell me. There's life. I mean, like, I mean, if, if, like, what's a big dream for you right now that you, you're pursuing? Um, a, a big dream for me, man, is really a part of this motivate thing. Like, I, I want this to take off to a point where more kids are getting involved, mm -hmm. uh, more kids are playing. But, I mean, at the end of the day, my biggest goal is just to continue helping others. Um, and to help them figure out they're not alone or help them figure out who they are and what they want to be type thing. Um, I always look at things in a selfless way of you're able to do it. Um, so of course I want to win my conference. Uh, that's yeah. if I go sport wise, I a hundred percent want to win my conference. I want to have a successful coaching career right um but outside of that i mean i just want to raise my son to be a strong passionate compassionate person um help my wife get to what she wants to do and reach her hopes and dreams i mean i live my dream every day i get to wake up yeah not many people get to wake up you know um and to be paid to do something i love i, I can't complain i'm in paradise every day no matter if i 
go through some struggles and some things I hate and some things I don't want to do, at the end of the day, I have a great opportunity and, and I'm fucking hella grateful for it. So I would say my goals are lived every day. Uh, they're constantly changing because I'm constantly changing, right? So like sure. nothing stays the same. But I mean, when it comes down to the end of it, I just want to be a great family man, a hell of a coach, um, and just an awesome friend to be around, you know? So th- those are my main goals that probably will never change. Yeah. Um, while everything else is monetary in my eyes, um, because it's all materialistic at the end of the day, you know, sure. it, it doesn't do much for me. That's why I was that guy who was like, I don't know what I want to do because it's all just BS at the end of the day, right? Like, I can't see myself really working for somebody else and doing their nine to five type thing. Um, oh, yeah. I'm too headstrong for it. <laughs> I, I hear that though. You know, you you, you want to work on your dream. You don't want to make, you don't want to be working for someone else's dream. Like that's right. Right. And, and I know that my dream is all encompassing, right? And like it's to help others. Like that's all I'm trying to do is help other people. Mm-hmm. And that's all I care about. Like that's what I'm most fulfilled. And that's why I got into coaching is because I get more joy out of mentoring and helping people than I do anything else I do in my life. Mm-hmm. So being able to continue to have that blessing of being able to influence people and to help mentor kids, I live my goals every day. And that's what I can always help and aspire to continue to do. Hell yeah. You're doing a damn good job, man. For real. It's, I appreciate it. No, I man. appreciate it. And like, I don't know what I could do to help, but if there's anything I could do to help spread the word, motivate anything, I'm in. Like you got an ally in me. Um through and through, whether it's, you know, to promote the sport or promote your brand or you know, quality, man. Like it's, we talked about it before. It's just like white people need to do shit too about this. Yeah. You know, you, you know, we're the ones I think it's, they it's need all, it. it's all of our problem. Yeah, exactly. hundred percent, hundred percent. You mentioned your son. I mean, do you, are you kind of worried that they're going to have the same type of like identity issues? Or like, how are you kind of thinking about that? Um, I, a hundred percent, I worry about it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, have been in his shoes, he'll have someone to kind of look at for guidance in a way, mm-hmm. right? Like, my dad's black, right? <laughs> like, very. He's not. He's not very he's black. Not yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, like, and my mom is white. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't have anyone to really look at to help me with that guidance of what it was like to be a mulatto. So, mm-hmm. I think, I'll be able to help him with more of anything, just understanding both cultures of himself, like and understanding who he is and letting him know it's okay to be yourself and to know your history because you can't know where you're going unless you know where you've been. And so just helping him with that, that path is going to be awesome. I mean, it's going to be challenging of course, but I I look forward to it because again, I love helping people and Mm -hmm. he's going to be no, uh short of getting the help anytime he needs it hell yeah well i mean like you said you're the perfect person for this you know not only are you living that every day trying to help other people you also have you know you have your son that you're gonna help as well it's it's awesome um we're gonna get into our last couple questions here so let's go back right so you're at home you're just coaching you know making that you know Fuck, I don't know. For me, it was like a six hundred dollar check a month. Like it, it didn't do shit. You know what I mean? I paid yeah, the car note yeah. and that was it. Um, yeah. Not to belittle it, but I mean, hey, 
You're not doing. You're not doing that for the it's money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fun as hell though. But um, you you know you're 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 depressed. Nothing's really seem to be going right. I mean, you're going back to tell yourself something. What kind of advice or, you know, what, what are we gonna tell yourself in that moment? It's okay. You don't have to run the race that everybody else runs. Your race is at your own pace, and you'll get to your destination when it's time for you to get to your destination. Um, don't be in such a hurry to keep up with everybody else because we're individuals for a reason, right? Like the word individual is just that. You're unique in your own way, which means you move at your own pace. Some people are going to move a lot faster. Some people are going to move a lot slower. You may move in the middle, but it's understanding that just stay on track with what you're doing and not be afraid to go against that norm of what's thrown in your face every day, right? Like, and I feel bad for the kids nowadays, right, who have social media. Yeah. And, it, and it's everything is instantaneous, right? Like, this is what my life looks like. But this really isn't what my life looks like. I'm just yeah, portraying right. this is what it's like. Mm-hmm. And so now a lot more kids are falling into depression stages and getting into this thing of this isn't my life and I'm less than now because of it. So it's for me, it would be more of an understanding of what your pace is and just staying true to it. Don't try to go crazy and go sprinting when you know you're not a sprinter, right? Like, yeah, it's damn, a marathon. Yeah, right. It's a it's a marathon. Life is the longest marathon of your life, mm-hmm. and if you sprint, I am the worst cardio person. If you try to sprint in a marathon the whole time, you're gonna pass the hell out. Be done. Yep. Right. And burn so out. It's finding it's finding your pace and, it, mm-hmm. and it's finding your tempo that can allow you to still enjoy what's happening. Um, and then the other flip side of it is enjoy the little things. Like you have to enjoy the little things because without enjoying those little moments in life that bring you joy, or maybe it's a small milestone. If you don't celebrate that small milestone, you're never going to see the light and you're only going to harp in on the dark. Right. And that's when you fall even further into things. And that's something I had to learn more of is celebrating the little steps, right? Like celebrating those little things because it takes a lot of those little things to make one big thing happen. Right. Because without those little things, that big thing never comes true. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you go through life, just celebrate the little victories, celebrate the little things in life that you get to do. Like I tell every people, people all the time of, oh, how are you? doing? like, I woke up today, baby. I'm good. Like I, I got a blessing that most people don't get. Like that's a little victory that I got today. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to celebrate every single time because there are people every single day who don't wake up or they wake up, but they're paralyzed now, right? Like they have a different mm-hmm. life that they have to live and then get adjusted to. So like, I'm blessed for that. And it's just celebrating those little things and understanding what your tempo of your race is. Those would be the main two things that I would say. Some profound stuff, man. I mean, like you hear that stuff, but you know, sometimes you need to hear it again. Like, I mean, yeah, I need to hear that. I needed to hear that today. You know, yeah. and I know a lot of other people did too. So, damn, yeah. Sometimes and the other thing too is you don't know what part of you don't know what part of the race someone's on. You know, you don't know what Correct. chapter they're on. You know, you might have started with a head start or daddy's money or you know all you hear all this shit. Like, you just have no idea, man. And like, I think it just another flip side thing is like, let's not judge people too from where they're at. 
Mm -hmm. because you don't know where they started from. You don't know, like, you know, you see someone to say they're a millionaire or whatever it is. You don't know if they, like, they didn't just get handed that, you know, they grind it. You don't see everything else. So like, I think it goes back to judgment in general, you know, don't judge yourself too much and other people. It's like an iceberg, right? Like you only see the tip, but you don't know what's under the surface. Right. And that what it took to grow that iceberg to be so damn big is really beneath the surface. Mm-hmm. And you don't get to see that. So it's you can't base everything off of just what is seen because you may see this overnight success and you might see this overnight sensation, but you didn't see the sleepless nights. You didn't see the two months, three months of eating nothing but ramen noodles mm-hmm. for dinner. Right. You didn't see the nights where they went to bed hungry right you didn't see all these things or you didn't see them being handed their money or whatever it is right Right. like you didn't see all that you just see the end result Mm -hmm. so don't judge anybody based off the tempo they're moving but judge your own because that's all you can control is your own actions it's fair where can people find you at they can find me on instagram um you have my personal page which is uh, would you rather we'll play on my name <laughs> for those who know my last name is rather spelled with a W. Um, mm-hmm. so would underscore you underscore rather W R A T H E R. Um, my motivate page is motivate MVB. Um, you can find us also on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Um, same thing for my personal page. And then you have my university's page as well, which is FVSU Volleyball. And that covers our men's and our women's page. Um, but you can reach me really wherever you want to find me. Um, cool. I'm always eager to talk to people, especially if they're looking to talk about something. Like, I'm never going to turn around, turn away that opportunity. Um, because, again, that goes towards what my life mission is of helping people. So I've had it. And it's funny I say that because some years ago, I think two or three years ago, um, I got an Instagram message from like a 5'11 outside from California. And he was just like asking me advice. He's like, hey, I saw you were successful as an undersized outside. Like what helped you get to where you are? and the other. And like, I gave him some advice and I just was straight with him and, and told him what was up and gave him some, some good nuggets to take with him. And fast forward three years, he's messaging me back. Like, hey, I just want to say thank you. Uh, wow. The words of advice you gave me helped me a ton. I'm at University of, uh, he's at Concordia, Irvine. So he's playing high-level volleyball yeah. on the West Coast, um, and he's starting. That's now. awesome. He's a senior, and he's like, I just want to say thank you for all your help and everything you did. I really appreciate it, that and the other. I'm like, bro, like, just pass it forward. Like, I appreciate your kind words with it, but just pass it forward. That's how mm-hmm. you help the next man. Like it's not about being self selfish, but selfless. And how can you help that next person? So if you guys got any questions about anything, you want to pick my brain about something, please reach out. Um, if it takes me a while, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm ripping and running all the time with different things, but I will always take time out of my day to help any and everybody. And I'll say it. If you're, if you're someone that's, looking to play college volleyball right now. I mean, you want to play for a real dude, you know, reach out. I mean, I, I had, co- I mean, I've had coaches that are just full of shit. And if I could <laughs> play for someone that was real, tell me how it is. That means a lot too. And I, and I, I'm yeah. sure you coach like that. I, I, 
that's that's who you are. You're not going to sugarcoat it. Tell them how it is. Um, our last question here, Larry, how do you want to be remembered? Ooh, Ooh. That, that's a great question. Um, I want to be remembered as loving, helpful, inspirational. Um, I want to be remembered as that guy that lit up the room and people can share tons of stories with. Um, I tell my wife all the time, I was like, cremate me, put me in the soil, grow me, smoke me, and we're good. Like, that's, that's all I need. Like, yep. I, I don't want my, my funeral to be anything sad, but more rejoice of all the lovely memories that people have and all the lives that I've touched um, throughout my journey in life. So if I were to not wake up tomorrow, like I would hope my like stone back up to the world or my way of being remembered is just somebody who is going to give life hell and fight for the underdog at all times. Um, and, and that I think would make my life had been worth it. I mean, you're doing all that, man. So you're good. Just keep it going. Just keep keep it going. <laughs> Honestly. No pressure. Just keep that shit up, though. Yeah. Hey, I know. I know you gotta get out of here. I just want to say, man, I'm so thankful you came on. We could we could probably do this for hours. There's still a bunch of shit I wanted to get to, but hey, we'll get there eventually. <laughs> like the stress of coaching. Oof. Yeah. No. <laughs> we dude, get there. Yeah. Hit me up. Got whatever. it. We can we'll do round do two again. I'm game. Absolutely, yeah, I'm man. Game. I appreciate you coming on, and I just want to say, you know, everyone out there listening. You know, if you're struggling with anything, there's always someone out there that's been through it, something similar, and they can help you or even just listen to you. Maybe you don't have, maybe we don't have the answers, but we'll help. We'll listen. Don't feel like you're completely alone because you're not, um, you know, if you're struggling with your identity, don't let that define you, be you, be whatever that is. Um, you know, Larry didn't say he wants to be remembered as the black guy, you know, he said, you know, caring, loving, and that's how you should be remembered. And that's how, you know, you should identify yourself. So thanks again for everyone listening until next time. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the anxious ambition podcast. You can find us on all podcast platforms, follow us on Instagram at anxious ambition. You can actually watch this podcast over on YouTube. Lastly, check out our website, anxiousambition.com, where we have all of our merch and a portion of every sale is donated to NAMI and it helps support the individuals and their families who are suffering from mental illness. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, take it easy. Anxious. Ambition.